Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. Take a minute, turn the radio up. Take a seat in the pastor's office. Right. Right. the frequency, tune in. Get up, word. Reverend Jonathan Mason. Oh, yes, you should. Take a minute, turn the radio up. And take a seat. Hey, Philly's Favorite listeners, it's Pastor Jonathan Mason, and I want to welcome you back into the pastor's office this Sunday afternoon. Can you believe it? It's already December the 12th. Year's almost over. We're in the midst of Advent season. Uh, For those of you of the Christian faith, you know that to be uh, where we anticipate the coming of the baby Jesus, our Savior. It's almost the end of the year. Just hard to believe. It's it, it's been it's been it's been a unique year, uh, but I'm thankful uh, that we've entered into the month of December. I'm thankful uh, that my family is still here. I'm thankful that my Phillies' favor family uh, is still here. We founded this radio station in the midst of the pandemic uh, last June, and and we've made it to December of 2021. And I pray uh, that you have been fulfilled by the inspirational music that we're playing. I pray that you have enjoyed all of our hosts, and we're just looking for bigger and better and more blessings in 2022. But listen, I heard a sermon this past Monday at the Baptist Pastors and Ministers Conference of Philadelphia and Vicinity. Uh, The sermon was delivered by uh, none other than the Reverend James Moore, uh, one of the senior pastors here in Philadelphia. Uh, he's been pastoring over at Second Mount Zion now for 35 years. And the title of his sermon was Update. Very simple. Update. And, and, and here was the premise for his, his sermon title. You know, all of us have these smartphones, And it seems like every two to three months, we get an indication or a notification on our phone that it's time for an update. And then you've got to hook it up to the Wi-Fi, press a certain button, and then your phone updates to what? The new operating system. And he tied that into particular scripture. I'm not going to get into the weeds on it today. Uh, but, but, but it caused me to think about what we're going to discuss here in our first segment today. We need an update on the manner in which we vote. We need an update on the rules and regulations that guide our voting process. Don't you know, and I know you do, I'm not going to insult your intelligence, but you know that people died so that we might have the right to vote. One of my mentors, one of my fraternity brothers, a, a man I could call friend, uh, the late great John Lewis, walked across the Edmund Pettus Bridge so that we might have the right to vote. He was jailed over 40 times so that we might have the right to vote. And I'll be doggone if we're going to allow Republican legislatures across this country, Pennsylvania included, 
Republicans in the House and the Senate federally to suppress the rights that have been earned through blood and through sacrifice. That being said, as we talk about updates, I want to welcome into the pastor's office for the first time State Representative Regina Young. She's she's planning to release some legislation that deals with updating the rules and regulations that guide our voting process. It's time for an update. Let's welcome into the pastor's office State Representative Young. State Representative Young, welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This is truly an opportunity, and thank you for the platform to share, you know, the important news for the people. So I appreciate you. Well, listen, you know, you you have you have spoken up. Um, a press release was delivered on November the 8th that says you plan to deliver legislation uh, that will update some of our policies that regulate voting here in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what your plan entails? So really quick, it's three short things, in all honesty. One is allowing early pre-canvassing to happen. Why? Because we, uh, we need more time. We need more time on day of election, 7 a.m. to start for people to, um, the, the, count, the Board of Elections to start counting ballots is way too late. People need an answer results in a timely manner. So allowing earlier pre-canvassing is one piece of legislation. The other piece right now, let the um, voters be able to fix their signatures, allow the um, County Board of Elections to notify those voters whose signatures have changed. Current law states if the signature currently does not match the ones that you have in the books, then it's going to be thrown out. Why should that happen? People's signature change all the time. If you Anyway, someone like me, a college student who wrote a lot of papers, my signature doesn't even look the way it looked last year. So does that mean that now my vote may be discounted because my signature has changed? Let's allow, you know, time for those signatures to be fixed. And the last piece is pre-canvassing mail-in ballots and absentee ballots. Why not? Why why should we have to wait? And I mean, why can't we give 21 days before elections to start with the pre-canvassing and absentee ballots? I believe this is common sense legislation. If we're really about democracy and showing up for the people that we serve, well, let's start with the practical approaches. So, so that's really it in three in three pieces of legislation. Let's start where you ended. Uh, let's start with the pre-canvassing of mail-in ballots. We know that uh, as a result of the pandemic, uh, mail-in voting has become uh, in- extremely popular. And and I always I often share this with other pastors. One of the other things that has transpired uh, with this uh, pandemic is that. Uh, folk have stopped attending church in person, and and they attend about five or six churches on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, and, and and so one of the things I share with pastors is if we don't understand that that we serve two churches now, uh, we serve the in person church and the virtual church, we're going to be left behind. Same thing applies to mail in voting. I don't think we're ever going to go back to a time where all of the population wants to go and stand in line all day long in an attempt to vote. Mail in voting is convenient. You don't have to take time off from work, uh, uh, and you get to, to 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 cast your ballot. 
two things. One, what's the current rule regarding mail-in voting? And two, why do you feel anybody would try to block the ability for votes to start being counted earlier? So the current rule is Act 77 was passed in 2019, right? And that allows the Pennsylvania voters to have access to be able to cast their vote via mail-in ballot. To your point, 2019, this pandemic has shifted how we view the voting process. So that's the current rule we should be able to. However, there is a piece that has been left off, which is the county election workers now have significantly more work to complete on Election Day as state law pertaining to the pre-canvassing ballots because it wasn't up- updated alongside the introduction of the new of the no excuse voting by mail. So this piece of legislation is just adding language to say, yes, pre-canvassing is important, but let's give those county boards more time to be able to sort out the mail and open the mail and then obviously cast those votes for those people who chose to vote by mail. Um, The question, I believe your part two question is, why would someone prohibit that? Well, Unfortunately, you know, people hate talking about the political lines, but politics is is really ugly right now. It's all about whose side wants to win. However, I will say um, I do sit on state government as one of my committees, and we have hearings quite often about why is it that um, we are trying to suppress the vote. If you listen to the R's or the other side, they're they're they are saying no. We just want a fair and transparent process. But when I tell you, we spent several hours in hearing and listening to testimony that speaks nothing to the rights of democracy and the rights of the people that we serve. What I encourage my um, people, whether you're in my district or not, anybody who calls my office or talks to me, I let them know the fight is really with education. We have to let people who are not necessarily in our community, but people who are on the other side, which are the R's, and go into those districts that we're unfamiliar with, talk to those legislators we're unfamiliar with, and advocate. Let them know why your voice matters, especially people like us who are of color and who have a history of really fighting and making sure that our voices are heard. This is nothing convenient about this time and moment, but we are worth the fight because we still have legacies to build. Another thing that I want to talk about, you know, uh, there are several members of my church that volunteer at the polls here in the Frankfurt section of Philadelphia. I've volunteered once, uh, and 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 I tell you, I have a lot of respect for people that volunteer to work the polls and 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 to be a part of these county election uh, boards, but. You know what? There are certain things that I'm not an expert in. There are certain things these folks are not an expert in. Uh, uh, They're not experts in looking at signatures. And and, and case in point, uh, I had to write 30 checks on Monday, right? I looked at my signature. When I knew we were going to do this interview, I looked at the signature on the first check. Uh, But two hours later, on that 30th check, that first and 30th check don't look anything alike when it comes to my signature. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. what you're advocating in in this new legislation is that citizens would have a chance to dispute whether or not their signature is valid. Right now, current law, if they see that it doesn't look right, they just toss it out. I mean, talk to us a little bit more about this. Hey, listen, you could not have painted a clearer picture. And 
as you're talking about democracy and making sure that our fight and our voices are heard, this is what it looks like. Something as simple as your signature not looking the way it did, you're talking about in one hour of writing checks. How about when the last time you signed your voter registration card was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago? Of course it's going to look different. Only thing I'm asking for, and I don't, it should be bipartisan because to me it's common sense legislation, but give the voters an opportunity to say, you know what, let me show you what my current signature looked like and let me, let me just show you real time with current information what my signature looked like. Don't just discount my voice because you don't like my writing. <laughs> and, 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 and again, by allowing voting to start early, it allows for all of these things to be handled and for everybody to have an opportunity to have their voice be heard during the election process. But yet, there are those that oppose these measures. And, and you talked about the, the, the R's across the aisle. And, and, and it's interesting because uh, they just tried to advance uh, HB 2044. Uh, out of uh, the government committee. Why don't you tell our little our listeners a little bit about how this piece of legislation would again seek to suppress the voting rights of folks that look like me and you? So what I will say is this, because I'm on state government and when you're talking about a lot of suppression, all of those bills, every bill that the Democrats have proposed was shot down in state government as it relates to voting rights. So anything that you can think of that we have proposed to legislature, hey, it makes sense, let's do it, they're, they're saying no. There is no common sense. I cannot rationalize the thoughts or the practices of the people on the other side in state government. I have to lump it all together because, in all honesty, Reverend, that's where we are. They're not passing anything. They're not passing it, not because it doesn't make sense or it's not logical. It's simply because they have no interest in our communities. And however they're going to want to stay on type at on top as it relates to the House and uh, um, the, the Senate, that's what they're going to do. Right now it's politics. And who suffers? We suffer. We, this is the last thing we need to be worried about in terms of voting rights still in 2021 when people are losing their homes, people are losing their lives. We have so many issues. We have climate issues. We have gun violence issues. We have real-life issues. And yet we're talking about signatures or allowing people time to fix um, their their absentee or their mailing ballot. So, unfortunately, I hate to lump it all up, but I, I can piece it out if you want. But anything that's proposed in state government, and like I said, I sit on state government. That's what we fight against. Every week we have 8 o'clock hearings on Monday mornings just because. State Rep. Young, now you, you, you're proposing this legislation, and again, the legislation that you're proposing makes sense. It's logical. Everything needs to be updated every now and then. Uh, but again, you've got a Republican-controlled uh, um, um, House uh, and, and Senate. How do we get this legislation through so that the people can benefit? Actually, I'm glad I'm here on this platform to talk about this particular approach simply because of this. Nothing's impossible, right? 
it's difficult, but it's not impossible. If we're not serving hope, if we're not staying the course and staying with our agenda, marching forward, being in step with one message, then we're going to lose. But the more we stick together, the more we advocate on what is right and educate our people. Education, we talk about it, but I find that we say it more in a general term, but it's very, very practical. Education is just information. It's okay to share information. It's okay to hold our community accountable and push them past their comfort and let them know while we're sitting at home in between our TV shows or whatever it is we're doing on our phones, why don't you Google a, a, a Republican who sits on state government or a Republican who doesn't represent a county that looks like yours? Send them an email. Send them a voicemail. Send them a text. How about call their office? Because I'm going to tell you something, Pastor. They don't, They call ours. They send us emails. They send us letters. They call our offices, and they tell us what they think. We need to do more of that. Advocacy can belong to everybody, not just special people with titles. We all have mouths, and we need to speak up, but we need to teach our babies, our young people, to speak up. We need to encourage our seniors to let them know that your fight was worth it, and we're still fighting alongside you. Advocacy is real, and it's more important now than ever, but I will say, although, you know, politics and, and, and our, you know, Republican colleagues attempt to make it difficult, nothing's, nothing is impossible, and that's what keeps my movement going, and that's what keeps my focus going, because I know that sooner or later, it's going to happen, so... I'm hopeful. Well, listen, uh, you know, Jesse Jackson coined the phrase, keep hope alive. And, and, and I kind of augment it with my congregation and, and with this show here on Philly's Favor, we keep faith alive because you know what? The, uh, you know, it, this is this is a gospel station that we do believe through Christ all things are possible. Uh, so I want to commend you for the work that you're doing. I want to commend you for offering up uh, or preparing to offer up this legislation. It's needed. We need an update uh, in our voting uh, laws and, and policy. Uh, it's very important, but but I would be remiss if I let you go uh, before I did ask you a little bit about uh, where the state is right now relative to pivoting a little bit to this Omicron variant uh, that's out there. We are seeing that uh, our cases are rising. The good news is because people are vaccinated and have received their booster, uh, we're not seeing the death toll rise as high. Uh, but, but, but I know you sit and get briefings uh, on a weekly and daily basis. Talk to us about how the state is preparing to handle this Omicron variant. Well, the message we're receiving is simply that continue on with the course of educating people about the importance of getting vaccinated and educating them on what their perceived negative takeaways may be. People have a lot of concern around what's in the vaccine or what is it, what are the effects of the vaccine and why should they take it and is it targeting, you know, people of color. Here's my, here's what I would say as a person of color, a mom of colored children, and a wife of a colored man who live right here in this colored community called Southwest, what I will say is equip yourself with what you need to stay in the fight. So the vaccines are working. Go with what is working. The message from our government, it does shift depending on who you're talking to, right? So if you are uh, anti-vaccine, well, 
the goal, the basic thing is that if you don't trust government, talk to your doctor. Talk to someone in the medical field. So you don't have to necessarily like the information that's being shared through government, but go to a trusted voice. Facebook is not a trusted voice. Social media is not a trusted voice. It's everybody's responsibility to get educated on the facts. Let's stop playing this fly-by-night, um, you know, Dr. Wikipedia. Let's stop that. And we need to stop encouraging our people to, you know, do the same. Equip yourself. If you don't trust government and when government is saying get vaccinated, it's safe to take. It's helping people live. It's helping people maintaining their homes and out of the hospital. If you don't trust government saying that, trust your doctor. So that's that's my official stance. State Representative Regina Young, your first time in the pastor's office, but we certainly pray it won't be your last. Thank you for joining us today. And if there's any ever anything that we can do to help you, you know we're right here for you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much again for the platform and opportunity. And we'll be right back after these commercial messages. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, welcome back into the pastor's office. We certainly want to thank State Representative Regina Young for coming into the pastor's office this afternoon. Uh, we really appreciate the work that she is attempting to do uh, to create a better Philadelphia for us all. Uh, I, I want to now welcome into the pastor's office uh, a guest that has been with us now on four occasions, and, and we love to keep up with him because he's always working, always striving to make a difference in the lives of Philadelphians uh, and the, the the citizens of these United States. Uh, and so we want to welcome into the pastor's office this afternoon, Congressman Dwight Evans. Congressman Evans, come on in the office. Uh, thank you, Pastor, for inviting me, and it's always absolutely a pleasure to be in the pastor's office and have these discussions. You know, they're, they're pretty good and they're spiritual. So if you want to know why I come back all the time, you know, around this time and the moment that we're in, in this uh, spirit period of time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, you know, last year this time, Congressman, uh, uh, you know, Dr. Fauci and all the medical professionals uh, were sharing with us that, uh, you know, we should probably try to have virtual Christmas celebrations, that we should only celebrate Christmas with uh, those members of our household who live in the household. Uh, but now that we are here in December of 2021, uh, we're going to be able to, 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 to celebrate Christmas in a more normalized fashion, in a fashion that we, we've been accustomed to uh, throughout our lives. And so I, I'm asking all of my guests going forward up until Christmas, how are you planning to celebrate a more normalized Christmas with family and friends? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Pastor. And that really comes down to a reflective period of time. First, honor, first and foremost, to be blessed my blessings that I have at this period of time. And it's a moment to do a little reflecting about where we are. This last two years has been very challenging, and it hasn't been easy. You know, I'm very fortunate none of my immediate family has been affected in any way in terms of COVID. We have been paying attention to the science, to the medical aspect. You know, we've gotten our vaccines, we've gotten uh, our booster, 
uh, wear masks. We understand that. We're very guarded. So we do not take anything for granted. I especially don't. I mean, it's something that we recognize that, you know, it is a blessing to be where we are. And when we think about the last two years, I don't think there's ever been a period, I can tell you about in my lifetime, that there's certainly been such a challenging moment, which means more than ever before of recognizing and dedicating ourselves to taking care of health first. Because obviously without health, there's not anything else you can do. You know, you certainly can't do anything else without health. So it's important just to recognize that and having this opportunity talking to you. I enjoy talking to you. I enjoy uh, being on the show, talking to your listening audience. So as you said, I've been somewhat like a regular. It's because I, I, I really I have a pleasure doing this. Uh, we appreciate you, Congressman. And, and listen, uh, uh, it would, I would be remiss if I did not say congratulations uh, to you and the members of the House and the Senate uh, that, that pushed through uh, uh, one of Biden's key initiatives, getting that $1.5 trillion passed uh, and now out into the country to benefit Americans. Listen, congratulations to you and your colleagues for getting that done, sir. Thank you very much. You know, um, one of the things that I, I was looking at uh, here uh, is that uh, Val Demings has sponsored a bill uh, that would provide $1 billion to solve shooting cases uh, in, in an effort to make our neighborhood safer. And, and listen, uh, you can't look at the news more than uh, uh, for a few minutes uh, now in cities like Philadelphia uh, and see that gun violence is at an all-time high. As a matter of fact, uh, I was doing some research here the other day, over 500 deaths by guns in Philadelphia this year, over 2,000 shootings uh, uh, in the city of Philadelphia this year, uh, and 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 then when you go to look at other cities like Chicago uh, and other cities around the country, the numbers are skyrocketing. And one of the things that 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 has been, well, I guess surprising is that most of these cases go unsolved. Uh, and and I'm finding out that a lot of the time, a lot of times, these cases are unsolved because the agencies don't have resources. And, and so Congress is about to see a bill that's sponsored by Val Demings, that's co-sponsored uh, by you, uh, that's going to look to provide those resources. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this bill and how it will impact our communities? Pastor, let me say this: uh, Val Demings and I was elected together. Al Demings is a former police chief of of um, Orlando, and she brings a perspective to this whole discussion that a lot of us do not. And she knows it hands on on the ground, and she is someone who's on the House Judiciary Committee. Those are very personal. In my perspective, I look at this very personal as you just described, particularly in the African-American community, you're now talking about 521 murders, and you're talking about 2,000 shootings. There is no question that there's no easy answer, 
but there needs to be a sustainable effort and to address this challenge. You know, Pastor, I'm not telling you anything new. People are scared, and they feel like who exactly is trying to do something. So I've always been a believer that all levels of government, federal, state, city, we have to collectively do everything we can. And the one thing we can do from a federal perspective is to help with resources, which is extremely important and something not to be taken for granted. It is something that is long overdue if the dollars are not there. So my job is to join with the state and the city to help them with any resource that they need. So I, when Val mentioned this to me, jumped on it right away, and it would be $1 billion to improve clearance rates and solve shootings and help victims, one being to improve clearance rates and help victims. As I said to you, now Congressman Demings is a former police officer, and she knows the significance of this step. So calling for we we would do basically by, by co-leading $1 billion called the Victim Act. And basically what it does, is to make sure the resources within departments, police departments, are there to help bring some sort of resolution to these challenges. You know, a lot of it is very important, Pastor, because even though sometimes it's after the fact, bringing resolution to this situation where, you know, the person who's a victim or the family has a victim, is that if they know that the police is doing all it can do to resolve it, you know, it doesn't bring the person back, but at least they know in contention in their minds that there's been a solution brought to this. And I think that's very important. Like in 2020, the United States saw the biggest rise in murder since the start of national recording in 1960, the biggest rise. So in 2020, over 21,000 People were murdered in the United States, the most since 1995, a 29% increase. So I strongly believe that there needs to be a huge challenge on this. You know, the, the president of the United States in the Rose Garden talked about, talked about this being an epidemic, an epidemic. And no community is exempt from this. So there's more of the reason that we need to provide our attention and focus on this. You know, Philadelphia was higher than L.A., which has 4 million people, and New York, which has 8 million people. It's more of the reason we have about 1.6. So clearly, no city is safe. No community is safe. And I don't believe until the kind of attention that Congresswoman Demings has brought by bringing this act to the attention of myself and other members, that until we have that type of focus. So I joined with her, Pastor, to say, to add my voice because of the community I come from, that something needs to be done. I think this is something that needs to be done. Obviously, you would hope that violence doesn't occur like this. You would hope this would not happen. 
But since it is, we must be realistic and we must have every tool on the table to address this challenge. It will not be easy, but I'm not running from the responsibility. And I think this is very serious because people are scared. People are very scared and something needs to be done. So I say to you, Pastor, we need to keep in mind. But in addition, Pastor, mm-hmm. in in the, the Build Back Better Act, there's $5 billion for community violence intervention led by my colleague Steve Horsford from the great state of Nevada. So this also, with community intervention, is something that we have to take very important. It is this kind of combination between what Val Demings are taking in terms of the Victim Act, in terms of Steve Horseman building that better. It is the collectivism of these acts that we have to say. We have to provide support to local governments in terms of cities, states, that we are serious about addressing this problem. And, you know, a universal background check is a bill we passed out of the House uh, the Charlotte Charlotte loophole, uh, we had that, we passed out of the House. And then the Victim Resource Act is something I have introduced along with Senator Casey. Um, so we're trying all these these actions, Pastor, to try to be to have a sustainable effort in addressing this epidemic. And we must collectively, we need all sides it should not be about politics. It should be about resolving the challenge we face. And I share with you every time, I mean, you, you hear all the news and the stories in the paper, our city governments and state government needs the assistance. We must provide the resources that are necessary to address these problems because no one, no one is exempt from this violence. And until we have a sustainable effort, as demonstrated by Representative Val Deming, Steve Horsford. It will only take, as Steve Horsford's bill is called, Breaking the Cycle. Breaking the Cycle is his initiative. So that's the, I think of my responsibility and obligation is to seek out ideas and suggestions, form alliances, advocate for these ideas to try to get solutions to address these problems. Well, you know what, I, I wanna, uh, two things I want to kind of look at as we spend this time with you uh, and the time we have remaining. One is prevention uh, or intervention, as you shared, and then the other is how we help victims. Uh, you've talked about the bill you're co-sponsoring with Representative Demings, but also about the act that's being placed into the Build Back Better bill. Uh, let's talk first about intervention. Uh, you know, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with members of the city council, members of the, uh, members of the House and Senate uh, here in the state, uh, and also with D.A. Larry Krasner. Uh, and, and one of the things that everybody consistently says is that we've got to work towards trying to identify uh, uh, ways to to, to, to stop the this gun violence from happening before it happens. That means dealing with the perpetrators, dealing with these young folk uh, uh, who may have mental issues uh, or, or who just may have been raised in an environment where life means nothing to them. 
Uh, uh, talk to us a little bit about, in your mind, how we can use these funds uh, that, that that Representative Horsford is 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 attempting to get it, uh, uh, approved uh, to be able to really try to stop this violence before these people grow up and become perpetrators. Well, that's a very good question, Pastor, because we already have helped the city when the mayor and city council announced $155 million to go to grassroots groups. That is money as a result of the American Rescue Act that has come in $155 million. What Representative Horses is doing is we're trying to build on that. And we're trying to find ways that are not your typical ways, ways that we be, can be uh, creative. As you know, you, you may be familiar with organizations, I know, like Concerned Black Men, uh, organizations such as that, and I've known them a long time, that the former police officers, former civil people who volunteer, they put mentoring programs together, Big Brother, Big Sister, uh, Boy Scout, Girl Scout, those efforts is building structure within, the, in other words, is build the community. It, it, uh, organization, church organization such as yours is very important because you are trusted leaders, and trusted leaders, in my view, are something that are very important. But they need resources to help them as we try to continue to perpetuate strategies. And, and look, in addition to that, we're trying to deal with affordable housing, $150 billion in the Build Back Better on affordable housing. Affordable housing, community intervention, change. You change the behavior. You change the community, you change the behavior. Change the community, change the behavior. It is this, this kind of effort. that can, Now, it's going to take time. But we must be consistent. I do not believe policing by itself can solve these things because we ask the police to do a lot. So it's not a question of just putting it solely on the police department. It is the collectivism. And we as a community building parental support, uh, having church involved, having business involved. Every community must be all hands on deck. And we must work at this as a sustainable effort. We must collectively drill down. For those who don't know how to act, they need to be dealt with by the police and like Krasner. That's the word dealt there. For those who do, who can deal with concerned black men, Boy Scout, Girl Scouts, mentoring programs, PAL. PAL, I find, is a very effective program. It is only through these collective efforts can we address it. Look. This problem is not just unique to Philadelphia. I mentioned to you Los Angeles. I mentioned to you Chicago. I mean, there's a lot. But pastor, more than anything, a lot of people need to be visiting the pastor's room. I share with you as some mechanism to address. These problems are deep-seated yeah. in these communities. There's the mental health aspect. That is very important. There's domestic violence that is occurring. There's not a simplistic answer. And for the first time, we got money, the federal government put up money for the, um, the, the, the CBC in terms of research 
uh, looking at. So it's a lot of ways it has to be analyzed, but it must stop. We cannot continue accepting this level of destruction. We can't do it. We, we can't have people be intimidated. We can't have people not be able to look at me. So it is the city, state, and federal government. It's the private sector. It's the public sector. It's civil society that must be collectively involved in it. So I think it's important to understand that, you know, $25 million to the CDC went for the purposes of research because we need to understand, Pastor, what kinds of strategies, but we have to sustain it. See, you know, we have to sustain the effort that we have to try to address. You know, Congressman, and and we're you're listening to Philly's Favor, one hundred point seven FM, ninety nine point five HD three. We're talking to Congressman Dwight Evans uh, about the one billion dollar bill uh, that Congressman Val Demings has sponsored, and he is co-sponsoring to solve shootings. But but the conversation's kind of taking a turn as we talk about how we intervene before these crimes happen and then how we deal with the victims. But I got to say this, Congressman, and I don't normally inject personal into my interviews, but this past week, the city just gave out a round of money to several grassroots organizations. As a matter of fact, 31 of them uh, uh, that are doing a great work in in this city. Uh, to try to curb gun violence. I will tell you, uh, we were one of the organizations that applied for these dollars. Uh, we were turned down uh, for these dollars. Uh, and, and, and this was the first time that we actually applied for grants because we've been doing work in this community since 1968, 1958 rather. We've never applied or asked for money, but, but in this day and age, when there are shootings in this community almost every week, we need real resources to get out there and make a difference and give these young people something to do other than hang on the streets. Talk to pastors like myself who don't pastor 5,000 member churches, but maybe we pastor 200 or 250 member churches. Talk to leaders like myself who need those resources but heretofore have not been able to access them. How do we get to that table and get some of that help to be able to make differences in these zip codes where the violence has just gone crazy. Pastor, I I can't tell you the specific because the 155, uh, that decision is made by the mayor and the, the board they have together. That, that, so it's important to counsel people at that level. However, the 5 being called Breaking the Cycle is what the way it works, Pastor, is most of the money we go it goes to the state and goes to the city. Uh, so it doesn't come directly from the federal government. It comes from the directly from the federal government going to the city and to the Fed. So I would suggest council people, first and foremost, state people, but, you know, those who give the money to them is there. But we, again, have to keep working together. You know, John Lewis, the late John Lewis would say, and I watched him so much, he would say, if you don't think things have changed, just walk in my shoes. John Lewis was 23 years old when he was at the Lincoln Memorial with Dr. King. So you can imagine from the period of what John Lewis and Dr. King's no longer here and John Lewis no longer here, 
is it was a sustainable effort. It was that. Now, it's unfortunately the, the, the level of deaths that occur. And it's unfortunate now that these things are occurring. But I would encourage you not to quit and, and, and to keep the council people aware and keep talking about it, keep raising it. You see, my encouragement on this program is to keep encouraging you. Like you encourage me spiritually, we got to keep encouraging each other. Because you can't do it by yourself, so we got to keep doing it. And, and, and you know, John Lewis also, my, my great fraternity brother and friend, used to say you got to get in good trouble. Uh, and and yeah. I and I've made a commitment to to connect with the pastors in this neighborhood, and we're going to get in good trouble because you know what? If you don't speak up, you never be heard. Uh, and and so that's one of the things that we're focused on is letting our our elected leaders in this area know that we need that help to make things happen. It's not just Frankfurt; it's all over the city. And, and when you really look at it, it's the mid-sized and smaller churches that really have the connections in the community because they've been there for decades. They've been there. They've been there, and those relationships have been formed over time and been tried and tested. But listen, before we let you go, I do want to talk about victims. You have been an advocate uh, uh, for victims of gun violence uh, uh, for a very long time. And what I need our listeners to understand is that you know the the victim of gun violence is not the only victim it's it's their it's their family it's their it's the neighborhood uh, as a matter of fact you look at some of these neighborhoods it's as if some folks are living with PTSD because of all that they've experienced talk a little bit to talk a little bit as we prepare to depart uh, from this conversation about how we could help those victims those family members uh, uh, that have that have had this gun violence perpetrated upon them? You know, Pat, you're really touching a nerve. I don't think uh, the implications of the victims singly, you know, as you said, obviously there's the individual, uh, there's the families, there's the medical calls. I mean, there's the work. There's so many ways. I said to you, uh, about 2,000 shootings, and there meant there were some victims, a lot of victims. And in terms of their ability to, to know what to do, where to go, support they need, that's something I strongly have advocated, and I'm going to keep on pushing. It is that kind of effort. This this whole effort has to have what I call a sustainable, non-action to, to accepting no as the, no saying no as the only answer. I mean. Obviously, the challenges that we have, one, there are too many guns. The availability of guns is, is, is just too much. And that's why this has to be a national approach. The available weaponry, I mean, the, the, con- the country is awash in, in guns. And then the point about individuals thinking that the answer to problems is through guns. Guns being the answer to address the challenges that we face. But you know, Pastor, a gun is not going to be a solution to the problem that we have. If anything, it is more problems. It is a point that it leads up into the victims and what happens. So I share with you, I'm not telling you anything that you're not leading, but the one part I would like to stress 
is that it is our collectivism that will address these challenges. And to your listening ones, I keep encouraging people not to give up, not to quit, and, and keep pushing for it. And I thank you for having this opportunity. I really enjoy it. Well, listen, again, thank you, Congressman Dwight Evans, for coming into the pastor's office today. You always provide us with great information that we can use. Sir, we're going to keep praying for you. Uh, we're going to keep we're going to keep supporting you. And as always, if this if this platform can be of assistance to you in getting your message out, we're right here for you, sir. We appreciate you. Thank you. Have a good day. God bless you, sir. Talk now about the state that we are living in. Political spirit or maybe some lies While you are listening to Phyllis Faber yeah. Take a minute, turn the radio